Welcome, friends, to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. My name is Pastor Steve, coming to you from the Pacific Northwest. I pray that wherever and whenever you are listening to this, it finds you well. I pray that God will bless you in our time together, and that as a result of it, you will be drawn nearer to Jesus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. We're going to be studying... Uh, chapter 3 of the book of Philippians uh, today. Um, and so hopefully you've got your scriptures with you, um, and we'll take a look at the entire chapter. But before we get started, uh, let's pray together. Father, we uh, come to you now, and we thank you for everything that you do for us. And Lord, we just pray now that our time together would be profitable, that as we study your word, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and to our minds, and that you would change us and draw us closer to you and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's dive right in. So chapter 3 of the book of Philippians um, begins this way. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Let's stop there and we'll jump back to the beginning and we'll take a look at a few things um, and then we'll pick back up in verse number seven. So let's start out with the first verse. In addition, he says, my brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. So right off the bat, he tells us and gives us some instruction here in this very first verse of this chapter. He's asking us, he's commanding us, he's requesting of us that we rejoice in the Lord. Now think about this. Um, if these folks here at the church at Philippi were going through and uh, some mild to um, excessive persecution, he's telling them in the middle of all of that, he said, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And so when I think about rejoicing in the Lord, I think about, you know, I mean, uh, all of the troubles and trials and situations and things that we have going in our, in our lives. Uh, there's a lot for us not to be rejoicing about. But the one thing that we can rejoice about is that no matter what happens to me here on this earth, uh, because I am a believer in and a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I get to spend an eternity in heaven with uh, the Father because of what Christ did on the cross. And so that always gives us reason to rejoice. And one of the things that always strikes me as peculiar uh, is the fact that um, followers of Jesus, Christians, um, should be the ones that are most joyful, regardless of the situation. But so many times um, we are portrayed and indeed act on the more dour sense of our nature, where we feel the need to um, 
point out and to cry out everything that's wrong with every situation. And we very rarely, very seldomly allow people to see uh, the love and the joy that we have inside of us because of what Christ has done for us. And so I will encourage all of you and myself, as Paul encourages us here, um, to rejoice in the Lord. The second thing that we see here in verse number two is he gives us a list here of folks that we need to watch out for. Now, the church at Philippi had some specific people that were coming in and were giving them false doctrine, but we can learn a lot from these uh, from these types of folks. There's three of them specifically, and um, they still interact with us today in the world and in Christianity and perhaps even in your church. Um, and so let's uh, look at the three types. First thing he says is, watch out for the dogs. Now, this word that's been translated here as dogs um, can also be translated as somebody with an impure mind. So this is somebody uh, we would have said, uh, you know, in in jest as we were going about, we would say something like, wow, he's got a dirty mind, you know, uh, or get your mind out of the gutter. This is a person with an impure mind where uh, every element and everything that comes into their path, they're going to look at it in the worst light possible and try to find the most salacious and um, uh, negative viewpoint that they can come up with with whatever is being presented to them. This is a person with an impure mind. Paul says, watch out for those. Secondly, he says, evil workers. Evil work workers are destructive people. Have you ever known somebody that just in their wake, there was just destruction behind them? Uh, whether that was um, emotional destruction or physical destruction or um, a spiritual destruction. They're just, everything that happens around them is just a cyclone of destruction. He says, watch out for those people. And then the third type, he says, those who mutilate the flesh. These are people that come into, specifically into our spiritual uh, communities, our Jesus communities, the church, and they begin to add things to your salvation. Um, hey, you need to, uh, you ladies need to not wear pants. You need to wear dresses. Um, that will make you holier. Uh, don't put on makeup. Uh, don't cut your hair. Uh, you men make sure that you wear suits and um, long pants all of the time. And all of these uh, other things that happen in the church and around the church, and um, maybe you've had some experience with those things in the past. These things don't add to your spirituality. Um, surely there are um, biblical rules and regulations for modesty and, and uh, dressing in um, the uh, in the way that is uh, becoming of the sex that you were born. These things are for sure true, but they don't make you more saved and they don't make you more holy. And so we need to be careful as we listen to those people that add things from the law. Uh, Paul is alluding here to the fact that those people that uh, are physically circumcised, which would be a rule of the law, uh, in their flesh or in their bodies, but are not circumcised in their hearts. And he's going to continue on here in that in a moment. 
But we just have to be careful of those folks. So watch out for those people with impure minds and watch out for those people that are just destructive and watch out for those people that are going to try to add something uh, to your salvation to make you more holy or better or greater than you are in Christ. Now, let's go to verse 3. He says, watch out for those kind because or for we are the circumcision." The ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. So he gives us three things. Here's three bad things, impure mind, destructive people, adding works of the law. He says, here's the thing. We don't have an impure mind. We worship by the Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well. He said, it doesn't matter whether you're on the mountain or down in the valley. There's coming a time where you're going to worship God, uh, who is a spirit, in the spirit. And so the, the confrontation or the, the juxtaposition or the opposite of the impure mind is worshiping by the Spirit of God. Secondly, the evil workers are the destructive people. We don't boast in ourselves or in our own power or our own authority. We boast in Jesus Christ. See, now this is the beautiful thing about being a follower of Christ and being a Christian is that, um, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to spend an eternity with God in uh, however that looks. Um, but the I'm not doing that. I'm not making that happen. I'm not holier than thou. I'm not um, better than you. I don't have things nailed down. I don't know exactly what's going on. I, just like you, am living day by day to the best of my ability in the power of Jesus Christ with what he has already done. What gets me into that communion with God is not me. It's what Jesus did on the cross. There's nothing that I can do to earn that. And so I don't have any place to boast. As a matter of fact, I'm just the most recent idiot that's following around trying to do what Christ asked me to do. And so the reality is I have nothing to boast of. Everything that uh, I ever will be, everything that I am, everything that I could be is all about Jesus. It's not about me. And anything that is negative about me, this is me stepping in the way. Thirdly, he says, Put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, even if you tried your hardest, and we all know that we do. I wake up every morning. There's a, a great um, meme that's out there on the internet, and it says, uh, Lord, today I haven't uh, cussed. I haven't uh, gotten drunk. I didn't make fun of anybody. I didn't uh, get angry. I didn't um, uh, hurt anyone. I didn't do anything negative. Now I'm going to get out of bed and we're going to start the day, and so I'm going to need your help. And the funny, the, it's, it's funny, but it's really true, isn't it? Is that we are uh, constantly uh, at war with ourselves. And so he says, put no confidence in the flesh. Paul tells us in other books that we, our flesh fights against the Spirit all of the time. And so put no confidence there. Paul then goes in through the next few verses, and he's talking about... Um, in concern with those people that do put confidence in the flesh, he says, listen, if you think you can put confidence in the flesh, nobody can do it better than I can. And he lists out his earthly credentials. And he talks about um, being circumcised on the eighth day, born of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding um, zeal, persecuting the church, 
regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So he lays out his earthly credentials um, to show the, the church at Philippi and those that would want to bring in uh, this extra material into uh, their worship. He says, listen, nobody's got those earthly credentials, those law-abiding credentials like I do. But then look at the next verse. Everything, he says in verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. And so Paul's going to, and he'll continue on in verse 8. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. And so Paul is telling us here in a, in a very clear way. He says, yeah, there's all my earthly credentials, and I'll stack them up against anybody else's earthly credentials. He said, but let me tell you the truth. All of that stuff is nothing. He said, I count it as dung. He said, that's absolutely nothing, because what is of real value here is that I know Jesus Christ. That's what's of real value. And so all of these works and all of these things that we do and all of these things that we have tried and all of these things that uh, we put into place, he said, it's all nothing. He said, knowing Jesus Christ, the value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, is the highest point. So put no value in the flesh, put no value in your credentials, put no value in anything that you can accomplish only put value in knowing Jesus Christ and focusing your life and attention on him. In verse 9, he tells us, uh, and be found in him, knowing him, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. You see, here's the beautiful part about Christianity is that I have no righteousness. I'm not self-righteous. I'm not a righteous person. I'm not a righteous dude. I don't know any of that stuff. I can't do any of that. Any righteousness that is in me is Christ in me. And that is the point. I have no righteousness of my own. So when I stand before God, I am unrighteous and filthy as uh, rags, and just worthless. But because of Christ, I can stand before the throne of grace, not because of me, but because of the righteousness that is Christ in me. And that's such a valuable and important part for us to really understand. Because, and people say, well, you know, you're, you're talking about yourself and putting yourself down and putting yourself down and putting yourself down. Well, maybe I'm putting myself down, but in reality, what I'm doing is I'm liberating myself to understand that I can't do this. I can't make this happen. If I could make it happen, I would be an absolute failure at it consistently. But because I can't do it, God knows I can't do it, so God became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, died on the cross and became sin for us, was buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if we'll repent of our sins and receive him as Lord and Savior, invite him into our lives, he will do it. And he said, I will keep you sealed until the day of redemption. 
Now that to me is liberating because I don't have to work for it. I, we as humans love, we love laundry lists of things that we can do. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. I'm even going to give you here a few at the end of the chapter of things that we should be doing. But understand that these things that we should be doing is about our sanctification as we grow in him, becoming more like him, knowing him more, but it doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. Our salvation is not of us. Our righteousness is not from us. It is from Christ alone. Look at verse number 10. My goal, he says, is to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And so here he gives us the goal. The goal is to know him. We need to get to know Jesus. It seems so ridiculous to me that we can't really wrap our heads around this as easy and simple as it is. If you're going to have a relationship with someone, whether that's a romantic relationship or a friendship or even a working relationship, the only way to cultivate that relationship and get to know those people more closely, better, uh, in a more open way where you can have those real deep conversations is you have to spend time with each other. If you want to make your teams effective at your workplace or wherever it is that you're at where you're working in a teams, that team has to spend time together. It's one of the reasons in the corporate world and uh, even in the church, uh, we have these team building activities and we bring all of these people together in one place uh, to have this activity together so that there are these shared stories, there are these shared combined experiences that they can um cling to, and get to know each other better. Now, you say, well, I want to know God better. I want to know Jesus better. Well, how are you going to do that? You need to spend time with God. You say, well, how in the world do I spend time with God? He has spoken to us through his word, through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you want to get to know God, you've got to get to know Jesus. How do I get to know Jesus? I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going to spend time in silence, meditating on his word. I'm going to spend time in prayer with him so that I can get to know him. And he knows me intimately already, but we can have those conversations back and forth where we get to know him. As we get to know him more and we experience what he does in our lives, then we will get to know him better, and that's what we want to do. Secondly, he says that we know the power of the resurrection. The resurrection is such an awesome event uh, for so many reasons. Uh, ultimately, because even after we leave this body, we will get to be present with the Lord for all of eternity. And he said that he will resurrect those bodies for us and so that we might um, have that physicality with God for all eternity. That's powerful. That powerful in and of itself. But I want you to think about the idea and the concept of salvation and resurrection not being someday forward, which it is someday forward, but it's also right here, right now. You say, how in the world? Well, here's the thing. Remember when before you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, you were dead. Dead in sins, dead in your trespasses. 
when you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and he came into your life, you are now born again, therefore you are alive. That resurrection has taken place in you spiritually. And so in that resurrection, the power of his resurrection is the grace to sanctify and to transform you as you know him and learn him more. So the resurrection begins its power even now. And then someday we'll get the physical resurrection. My salvation is already right now. I live eternally right now. Someday after I leave this body, I will also exist for all of eternity in life in Christ. Thirdly, he says, we know the fellowship of his suffering. Boy, this is something that we don't like to talk about as Christians. But just as much as there is joy and glory and looking forward to that heavenly place and all of those things, there is suffering. Jesus said, they will hate you because they hated me first. Uh, he said, in times of those persecutions, give no thought for what you will say because the Spirit will draw from you, uh, from his word, and give you the words to speak in those moments. Yeah, we're going to fellowship in his suffering. We're going to get to know him as we experience the same things that he experienced. And so part of this great life that we live in Christianity uh, is to sign up for a life of suffering. I hate to tell you that, but if you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, you have also signed up for a life of suffering as well. Paul continues on now in verse number 12. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by, G by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for the Savior. From there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. All right, let's jump all the way back up to verse number 12. Paul says, I am reaching for the goal. And then he tells us how to reach for the goal. And of course, the goal is uh, Christ Jesus. The prize is Christ Jesus, that we're going to be with him and... Um, enjoying the fellowship of being in his presence. But he says, how do we reach for the goal? Number one, he says, forget what is behind. Remember what I said earlier, what's behind? Death. That's where we came from. That's where we were, a life of death, focused on death. The flesh focuses on death, but the spirit focuses on life. So he said, forget what is behind. That's what's behind us is death. 
he said, reach forward uh, to what is ahead. What's ahead? Life and life eternal. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. We are the ones, the followers of Jesus Christ, we are the ones that can uh, express that joy and to live life joyfully because no matter what happens, we have the promise of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. He continues on in uh, verse number 15, and he says this, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. So those people that are mature in Christ think this way. If you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. So he's telling you, think this way. If you've got a different thought about it, God's going to reveal this to you. Uh, so pay attention. He said, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. This is what he says. Join in imitating me. So the first thing he tells us that we need to do if we're mature and thinking the way that he's telling us to think is we should imitate Paul. Not because Paul was great, but because Paul followed after Christ. So we're going to imitate Paul. The second thing he tells us to do is he says, pay careful attention to those who live according to this example or those who live, um, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. So let me back this out for you because I don't know Paul personally. As a matter of fact, uh, he has left this earth in his physical form and he is with the Father now. So I'm going to imitate Paul based on the fact that he wrote these scriptures and he's given us information on how to live our lives in the context of our Jesus communities, the church. Secondly, uh, I'm going to be hopefully one of those people that... Um, uh, live according to that example that he has left for us, uh, and you have those people in your life also. Perhaps that's um, your pastor at your church, or the elders, or the leaders, the deacons, the folks at your church. Perhaps it's your next-door neighbor. Um, perhaps uh, it's even within your own family. There's someone uh, in your life, if you're a follower of Christ and a member of a local church, and let me just pause and say, if you're not a member of a local New Testament Bible-preaching church, you need to get involved in a local New Testament Bible-preaching church. Find those people that are in your life that are living according to the example of Paul and live after their example. Think about that. Look and see. Learn. God has put all of these people into our lives to help us to work our way uh, to that sanctification, that prize that we're reaching for and striving for, um, which, by the way, you won't achieve that until you have left this body. Just, it's a work in progress for the rest of your life. Looking at verse number 18, Paul says, um, he says, look to those examples in verse number 17. Then he says, I've often told you, and now we'll say it again with tears, that many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Even inside your churches, there are people that live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is what he says about them. First, their end is destruction. They don't have life eternal. Uh, they are not true followers and believers in Christ, and their end will be destruction, uh, an eternity separated from God. Secondly, he says... Their God is their stomach. He says, uh, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach. 
Now, many of us uh, could push away from the table and spend a little less time uh, shoveling groceries uh, down our face. But the point of this is not that they're gluttonous. The point of this is that their body, their flesh, the desires of the flesh, the things that they want to see and to feel and to be a part of, is their God. They do not focus or care about anything else. It is only their own pleasure that they are looking for. He says, their glory is in their shame. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. We live in a society today where no one is ever ashamed. As a matter of fact, uh, many groups and many people and many teachers today will tell you to take pride in yourself and uh, you know, take pride in your community and uh, do all of these things and look at all of this. But what they're really pointing to is something that they ought to be ashamed of, and they're not. And so they don't understand that in all of this glory that they are heaping on in themselves, all they're actually doing is just exemplifying their own shame. And then he says, finally, in a very clear and succinct way, he says, um, in a very clear and succinct way, he tells us that... Um, they focus on earthly things. And if they focus on earthly things, that means we should not be focused on earthly things. We should be focused on heavenly things. Now, he's going to tell us but we, what, what we do. So that was the enemies of Christ, but here's what we know. Number one, our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, we are strangers and pilgrims and we do not belong to this world. If we are doing what we're supposed to do, if we're following after Christ, we will not be in line with what the world is doing. We are strangers and pilgrims. Peter tells us that. Secondly, we eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior who's from there. Who's the savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we are always looking to, uh, to when Christ will return, put an end to all of this suffering, put an end to all of this, uh, the world as it is, and, and all of the things that are going on, and we can just say, wow, Jesus is here now. We can rest, and we can be rest, and we can be uh, in him. And then finally, he says, we will be transformed. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. We will be transformed into glorious bodies by his power and by his authority. Now you're gonna say to me, Steve, what does our glorious body look like? And my answer to your question is, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that means. But what I do know is, is that as I read in scripture, it tells me that there will be a day when there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, that we will be in the presence of God and that we will be at peace and that we, we, we will be at rest and that we will worship uh, at his feet and we will glorify him. And that is what I know about our resurrected bodies and what that means. The, here's the big picture for, the, for this chapter. There's a lot of people that are out to do harm there are a lot of people that are trying to follow after Christ. What you want to do is to look at those two groups of people 
and follow along with those people that are working and attempting to follow after Jesus Christ because he is the righteousness uh, that allows you to stand boldly in the throne room of grace and to speak with and to get to know uh, the, uh, the creator God of the universe who became flesh and dwelt among us, died on the cross, buried in the tomb, resurrected the third day, uh, being victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if you'll repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in him as Lord, ask him to come into your life, he will do so, and you will be able to spend all eternity with him. Next time, we'll look at chapter number four. Let's pray together and we'll be done. Father, we thank you uh, for everything that you have done for us. Lord, we know that what we are capable of doing is of no value whatsoever. And so, Lord, we place our lives um, uh, in your hands and we trust you to uh, keep us to the day of redemption. We trust you to work a great work in us and to complete our salvation. We trust you to sanctify us and to grow us as we read your scripture and your spirit teaches us through your word as we sit uh, in silence, listening uh, and waiting for your response to the things that we have read and understood. Change us, Father. Draw us closer to you and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Clayhouse Gospel Hour. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you'd like to get in contact with us, check us out on Facebook or email to clayhousegospelhour at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.